Okay, Zach Wilson has been benched. Mike White will start. Um, I have a few takeaways. So first of all, I recorded late last night or early this morning technically, and I finished the podcast. And then obviously this morning, Zach Wilson gets benched. So a lot of the things I said, they're still relevant. They apply, but uh, it is a little bit different now. Um, the only thing I did say was I did think that Zach Wilson was going to start. Um, obviously, that no longer does apply. But I do have a few takeaways that I just jotted down real quick that I want to get to. Number one, the first takeaway. I told you the backup quarterback in this scenario would be extremely telling. Whoever the backup quarterback is will be very telling. And the backup quarterback on Sunday against the Bears is going to be Joe Flacco. So Zach Wilson is not only getting benched, he is being demoted to a non-player, essentially. He's not going to dress for this game. Um, so it's more than just moving him to the bench. You're moving him two slots down. He's now QB3 on the roster. Um, and the reason that's important is because I think there's more to this story than just the play. Um, people suggested, based on certain film, that he was not viewing enough film, that he was not watching it, that he didn't know the plays. Um, I saw Dan Orlovsky said that. Um, obviously, what he said in the locker room made an effect... Uh, in the locker room, what he said after the game, not taking accountability. I think there's more than what meets the eye. I think some of the reports that we are seeing, I know a lot of these Jets reporters are gotcha reporters, Rich Samini, guys like that, but them saying that he was walking around like he's not the problem, and then a bunch of players accidentally, quote-unquote, liking those tweets, a bunch of the Jets defensive players, that's not a coincidence. I think that's important to see here, that those players they realize that Zach Wilson is carrying himself like he's the man and he's not. And maybe he's not studying as much as he should. And maybe he's just needs a break. That's another possibility that he just needs a break because we see him, like I mentioned on the episode, you'll hear that he's not making the plays that we saw him make even when he in his first game as a Jet against Carolina where he was just pulling the trigger. Um, I, I talked about that game. So that's important that I think there's more than just the poor play. Um, I think he looked at himself like, I'm 5-2, and two. I'm good. So maybe not only being benched, but not dressing at all sends more of a message to Zach Wilson. I think that's important to note here. Another thing, and I talked about this on the podcast, the Jets value winning now. We talked about this from the time of the draft. We talked about this um, from when they drafted Garrett Wilson. When they dra- Everything they've done kind of proved to me that the Jets are valuing winning now. And the question becomes, who gives you the best chance to win now? Is it Joe Flacco? Is it Mike White? I think there's a combination where they also want to see what they have for the future. It's so short-sighted to say, okay, we need to win now because maybe the best option for winning now is Joe Flacco. But we saw his limitations also when he was the starter. He was one and two. He did have the great game, obviously, uh, against the Browns at the end of that game where he brought them back. But I think you need to not only win now because of what we talked about with Salah and Douglas. I think their jobs have to be safe at this point. But you need to win now to show the rest of the room that you care. The rest of the room is putting in such a strong effort to be a competitive, great football team. The defensive side, the wide receivers, the running backs, the offensive line, they are all playing extremely well. And you need to show them that you value what they're doing for this team right now. And you do that by saying, hey, we're making a decision that's going to help the team in the immediate future right now, even if it's not the long-term answer. And that tells those players, we're here for you. We want to win. We are trying to win because of the effort that you guys have put forth. You guys have gotten us to this point that we're 6-4. and four. We have to do our part as an organization and put winning first. And that's why they're going with Mike White on Sunday. And Joe Flacco as the backup because Mike White, we saw him win last year. Let's see what he got. Maybe he is the franchise quarterback of the future. We don't know that he's not that. I doubt he is. But maybe he gives you the best chance to win or at least a better chance than Zach Wilson. And if he's not, then we'll get to see Joe Flacco because we know that they probably can win with Joe Flacco. Here's another point, the third point I'm going to make. A lot of people will probably say that you can't go back to Zach Wilson after you bench him. That's far from true. The NFL has changed. We saw this with Tua Tungavailoa a thousand times. They kept going back to him. This doesn't mean that Zach Wilson is automatically off the team next year. Um, And we'll get to that. I think who is the quarterback next year? I think they'll have to bring in a veteran, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, who I've talked about, whether it's even Tom Brady or Derek Carr. Those are all options, obviously. But Zach Wilson will still be on this roster most likely next year. I don't think they'll get rid of him. But like we talked about with Sam Darnold, you'll hear later in the episode that I talked about with Sam Darnold, how the leash was shorter. 
Maybe they bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers for him to learn underneath. It doesn't matter. If you bring in someone else, that doesn't mean that Zach is automatically gone. That doesn't mean you can't go back to Zach. They might go back to Zach this season still if it doesn't work out with Mike White and Joe Flacco. I think right now it's Mike White's job to lose. I think Joe Flacco is next in line. And then after that, they could still go back to Zach Wilson if they believe he's ready or if the team is just out of the playoffs and they have nothing to lose and they still want to see what he's capable of doing on an NFL football field. The idea that they can't go back to him is wrong. And as far as next year's quarterback, I get, like I said, we'll get to that more as the season progresses. We'll talk about that in the offseason. The last thing I want to talk about is what Mike LaFleur said in the press conference. Mike LaFleur said that this is on me. I take responsibility. I want to pull up the exact quote. Mike LaFleur said, it starts and ends with me. That's it. And I think that if Zach Wilson had said those words after Sunday's performance, then maybe Zach Wilson's job would have been saved. I genuinely think that if he had said that, instead of saying what he said, there's a real possibility that Zach Wilson would still be the starting quarterback today, but he did not say that. Mike LaFleur is leading by example, and Zach Wilson will have to follow that example if he does want to win this job back eventually and win over that room. Um, All right, a couple other things, just because once I'm here, first of all, Ryan Reeves was also traded. Uh, Since I recorded the episode, I did do some Rangers talks. Ryan Reeves was traded by the Rangers. I think this is more... The Carpenter, Sammy Blay, and Julian Gauthier line has been extremely effective for the Rangers of late. And the thing about hockey that's different than any other sport, having a guy, he can't sit on the bench. He sits in a suit up in you know a press box. And Ryan Reeves, the energy and the positivity that he brings does not help the team if he's up in a press box wearing a suit. It's ineffective, whereas the Carpenter, Blay, and Gauthier line has been extremely effective. So that's why they traded him. It sucks to see him go, but there's no point in having him sit in a suit. Also, Taylor Heineke, I mentioned, I talked about the uh, Washington Commanders. Taylor Heineke put out some swag. It says, F it, Terry down there somewhere, where he just throws it up for Terry McLaurin. I think he's leaning into the fact that he's not this great quarterback, but he's playing extremely well by understanding what he's capable of and understanding what he's not capable of. And it's helping the team when he has a good attitude. And it's funny that he could laugh at his own expense. All right. Um, I'm going to kick it to the episode because we have a whole long episode. But obviously with the news, I had to step in and do this. Um, a lot to talk about. Friday's episode may be late also because I'm working from after Thanksgiving. I'm working um, morning drive till 2 p.m. on Friday. Uh, a long day on Black Friday for me. So we'll see if I can get an episode out uh, by the end of the day on Friday. Hopefully we will. Um, by the time I post this episode, Aaron Judge will probably be on the San Francisco Giants just because of how many crazy things have happened. And that's just the luck of this episode. But hopefully now I can kick it. Here it is the rest of the episode. Coming up on the Rami V podcast, I have two new Super Bowl contenders I'd like to introduce you to. Also, Ben Simmons returned to Philadelphia. The Rangers had a crazy win in LA. More Zach Wilson reaction. Who will be the starting quarterback for the Jets this week? Or should the question be who will the backup quarterback be for the Jets this week? We also gave you my NFL power rankings through week 11 and previewed the three football games on Thanksgiving. All that and a whole lot more on a loaded episode of the Rami V podcast. Stay tuned. It's all next. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La V podcast. We just got done watching the Rangers out on the West Coast. 
beat the LA Kings. Always fun when you can beat the Kings. Doesn't make up for the Stanley Cup final. It's still fun to beat them. And one of the strangest Ranger games, yeah, late night hockey when they play on the West Coast. It's late Tuesday night now. By the time you hear this, it'll be Wednesday. Um, it's already early Wednesday morning. Um, but late night hockey on the West Coast in one of the strangest Rangers games of the season so far. And a game that felt really very similar to last season's Rangers. And I'll tell you why. Because it was kind of similar where Igor Shosturkin felt like he was standing on his head. And yet they were still down 2 nothing after one period. The team played awful. Igor bailed them out plenty. But just two times he didn't. And after the first period, I still thought this team could come back. And one of my friends, a friend of the show, Johnny Lazarus, tweeted that he thought that this team couldn't come back. That last year's team had the grit. Last year's team had what it took to come back in games like that. And this team was not like that. And it occurred to me that maybe I had thought that this team would definitely come back in this game because... I wasn't even thinking about this team in terms of this season. I was still giving them so much cred that they built up from last year that I was thinking that, of course, they'd come back in this game. And I hadn't thought of the idea that maybe this team just isn't the same as last year's team. That hadn't occurred to me, that thought. And then it wasn't just that they came back. It was the way they came back. And, of course, the ultimately the go-ahead goal after they immediately take the lead. They give up the lead in one of the most wild sequences, and then they get the go-ahead goal from Kreider in the way that they got the go-ahead goal, that reminded me of last year's team. And the man in the middle of all of it, as always, as he was countless times last year, was Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider is the engine of this team. When he runs as far as he goes, this team goes, in my opinion. You know he's my favorite player. And I know there's Igor. I know there's Adam Fox. I know there's so many other pieces. Mika Zibanejad and what he did when the king's net was empty what he did in the middle of the ice to not allow any passes through to not allow anything to go through to make sure that the rangers not only didn't allow the tying goal but not even saw any shots not really tested igor shesterkin in that time until Kreider got the empty netter was incredible so there are so many pieces on this team that are playing outstanding. And Capococco is amongst them, although he has not finished. The goals will come. If he continues to play like this, I swear the goals will come. But Chris Kreider, when he's scoring, I know maybe I'm a little biased, but when he's scoring, when he's doing this, this team is different. This team is special. And what he did tonight, that goal, that play with Mika was unbelievable. And so uh, that was fun to watch. Didn't think I was going to start a Wednesday podcast talking about the Rangers, talking about hockey. But I just did for a little bit. Um, speaking of Wednesday shows, I'm trying to come up with like more segments to do on Wednesdays because I always say that the Sunday show and the Friday show write themselves. Picks, recaps, done. NFL Sunday, it's all built in, right? You preview Monday night football, you recap Thursday night football. On this episode, we have a bunch of Thursday games to get to because Thanksgiving is this week. So we have a lot to talk about as far as upcoming football. And there's a lot to digest still from the week that was week 11. But how should we digest it on this podcast is the question. Now, a lot of shows, they do segments for a few reasons, I think. I don't know. But I think one reason is because the listeners have something to look forward to. Ooh, I, I like this segment. I want to look forward to it. I'm going to listen to it. It's, it's a reason to get you to come back every episode. It builds structure into the show. I think another reason possibly is for sponsorships, right? I recently got a sponsor for my pick segment. And so the more segments you do, the more you have titles, the more you could sponsor things. Like I said, the structure creates something to place ads in and have sponsorships. So I'm trying to think of segments that we should do for the Wednesday show, because like I said, the Wednesday show, if you're not going to have a guest, you don't have the picks and you don't have the game recaps, the Sunday game recaps, then it kind of is just all over the place and every episode could be different. And so if you see a Wednesday episode go up, you're like, I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't know what's going to happen on this episode when I want there to be more structure than like, than that. I want people to look forward to something. So what I've done, I've done the NFL tiers. I think that's great. Um, I think that's something that people definitely look forward to because there is no more interaction on anything than I get when I post my power rankings. I post my power rankings. I've been doing it. I think I've done it three or four times now on Tuesdays. And when I post those power rankings, a lot of people obviously don't understand that I am doing this for the attention. 
I know that this is actually how I feel and I have a rationale behind this, but I'm not like crunching numbers and looking at tons of stats. It's kind of more my gut feeling combined with here's what I think about these teams just based on watching them. And that's how I give my power rankings. It's based on some facts and some stats, but the number of responses that I get, everyone thinks I'm wrong, not about like one thing. Everyone thinks I'm wrong about everything and the interactions that I have. And I literally tweeted out, I write, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this or only rational thoughts in return. Like I'm telling you that I, that I'm laughing at you and you still feel the need to come at me with all your opinions. I don't really care. Um, but actually I, I do, I do like the interaction. It's fun. Like I said, I do it for the interaction. It's fun, but no, that's genuinely how I feel about most of those teams. And the good part is I post that on Tuesday. And if you want to know how I feel and why I feel the way I feel about where those teams are, I get to talk about it on Wednesday's show. Um, so that's fun for me and I'll pull up the power rankings in a minute. Um, but I'm thinking of some other things we could do. What about a fantasy corner? So my fantasy teams have gone kind of down the gutter. This week, I in, in three of my leagues, I had one league where I scored 90 points and won my matchup. And then I had another league where I scored 123 points, another league where I scored, I think, 119 points, and I lost those two matchups. So fantasy football is just stupid. Um, I'm putting up points at an incredible pace. and I think I'm seven and four, despite putting up points at that great pace. So like I said, fantasy football is all random. It's kind of just is. But I, I would do a fantasy corner Wednesday's the day when people are picking up waiver wires, right? So Tuesday, kind of who's hot? Who should you trade for? Who should you buy low, sell high, that type of stuff? There's only a few weeks left that we could even talk about fantasy. But uh, now we're getting into the playoffs. People are going to be looking at the waiver wire. People are going to be trying to make last second pushes into the playoffs, trying to shore up their rosters before they get into the playoffs. Um, so we could talk fantasy. Um, another segment that I thought of, and this is what we're going to do this week because, um, this was something I thought of was a segment that I'm going to call Tuesday's takes. Now it's Wednesday, but I record this on Tuesday. It's Tuesday night as I'm recording this. So it's my Tuesday takes and it's really my biggest takeaways from the week in the NFL mostly. Um, and it's my takeaways from what we just saw. I think, something happens after the games on Sunday where we have immediate instant raw reaction and a lot of time overreaction. I was kind of thinking about some things where I was like, so this team beat this awful team, this other awful team, like take Monday night football, for example, we didn't really recap it, but San Francisco, the 49ers, they beat Arizona. I've told you all year that Arizona stinks, but San Francisco beats Arizona crushes them 38 to 10 on Monday night football. And all of a sudden, San Francisco is a Super Bowl contender. Now, I have other reasons why I think San Francisco is really good. But a lot of times, we have an instant raw reaction to certain things in the moment, and then we have time to digest it. And that's why it's Tuesday's takeaway. Tuesday's take, if you want. Because on Tuesday, you can actually sit down and your takeaways are what your thought-out process sees after the initial raw reaction to what you initially saw. So I'm going to start my Tuesday takeaway. <laughs> and it's funny that I said this because I use this as an example for the raw emotion. But number one, I have five Tuesday takeaways. I, I'm not going to do a certain number uh, every week. This week I have five. My number one Tuesday takeaway, I do think the San Francisco 49ers are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Right now, the San Francisco 49ers are in first place in the NFC West after all that so all we talked about with Seattle, the Rams early in the season, coming into the season as the favorite, everything that happened with Trey Lance, and with the Niners getting, by their standard, a slow start, they're now in first place and they own the tiebreaker against the Seattle Seahawks. I saw a tweet about Jimmy Garoppolo because a lot of times people think that that is the shortcoming of the 49ers. Now, we know about Brendan Ayuk, we know about Debo Samuel, we know about Christian McCaffrey, Kittle, all those guys. This team is incredibly skilled, Elijah Mitchell. It's funny, they use Christian McCaffrey like he's, I don't know, maybe he gets 60% of the usage on the team as far as running back. They run Ayuk out of the backfield. They run Debo out of the backfield. They're still, run, still running Mitchell. You went from Carolina, where you were the entire offense and relied upon on every single play, if you're Christian McCaffrey, to a guy 
whose usage percentage is probably around 60% right now. And you're still giving the productivity that you gave, probably because you're fresher, probably because you're not hurt, you're not ailing from having to carry a team on your back on every single down. So the way they use Christian McCaffrey, when people are like, oh my God, they traded for Christian McCaffrey and they're still using Mitchell. Yeah, because Christian McCaffrey is more effective when you're not leaning on him to do every single thing for your offense. And that's actually helping the 49ers right now. The 49ers defense is no joke. I don't think I need to tell you that. They are a legitimate defense. They are a Super Bowl caliber defense. They have been that way for a few years. And the only thing that people look at is Jimmy Garoppolo. And they say, well, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not a franchise quarterback. Well, isn't he? Somebody tweeted this. It was actually Barry McCockner on Twitter, who's funny. And I think it was a comedic tweet. But he wrote, in 20 years, fans are going to look back on Jimmy Garoppolo's career Look at his win-loss record. Look at his stats and wonder why we didn't consider him an all-time great quarterback. And it's going to be really funny. I don't know if that was a shot at Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know if that was a shot. I'm not sure what he was trying to say with that. I know it was funny. And I know he was trying to be funny. But is he wrong? Why don't we consider Jimmy Garoppolo to be one of the best quarterbacks? If you look at the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, when Jimmy Garoppolo was starting at quarterback, the Niners are 40-19. and with all other quarterbacks under Kyle Shanahan starting for the 49ers. The Niners are 9 and 29. Again, 40 and 19, more than double the amount of wins than losses when Jimmy Garoppolo is quarterback. 9 and 29 when he's not, more than triple the amount of losses as wins. I don't know. The numbers are there. They bear it out. Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever you want to say about the kid, he's a winner. That's it. Numbers, eye test, nothing else matters. This dude wins, and he was a few plays away from winning a Super Bowl, if not for one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen beating him. And that brings me to take number two. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play. Now... Does that make him the greatest quarterback of all time before you all come at me and jump at me? No. Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how many times your team looks funky, looks terrible, throws interceptions. He could do certain things in a game where he looks awful. Take that Super Bowl, for example, and he comes back, and at the end of the game, all of a sudden, he turns around and wins the game for them. The defense, the special teams, everything can stink, and then you still have Patrick Mahomes on your sideline. Can you imagine what it's like to root for a team that every Sunday... You know you're going to see something special. The difference right now between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, who is undeniably the greatest quarterback of all time, is longevity and rings. And I'm not minimizing those two things. Tom Brady has won more than anyone. Tom Brady is 45 years old and still doing it at a high level. Tom Brady was in a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl just a couple years ago, and had one of the craziest comebacks we saw in a playoff game last year fall just short. Tom Brady is rightfully the GOAT. Tom Brady has been doing this forever. But Pat Mahomes, if he does this for seven, ten more years, is he the greatest of all time? Because we've never seen anyone with this kind of talent. I can be sure of that. And to be this young and to be this great and to be this talented and to have already won and gone to another Super Bowl, and I think he's headed back there and he's headed for another MVP this season... When we talk about the narratives of MVP, think about the performances he's had in primetime games this year. It seems like all his games are in primetime games. And every time he's in primetime, he's coming up with a big performance. And not just a big performance, but a performance where he has to carry his team at the end of it and be the hero and put on the Superman cape. It's hard to win football games when your quarterback always has to put on the cape and win the game for you. But if that guy's Patrick Mahomes... It's not that difficult, and that's why, in my opinion, to this point in his career, he's the greatest quarterback I've seen. I want to shift gears, switch to the NBA for a second, and then we'll get back to football. Take number three. Ben Simmons returned to Philadelphia as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, his first game back in Philly since, obviously, the playoff game where he refused to shoot the layup, and the fans got on him. We know how that went for Ben Simmons. Philly fans are built different. <laughs> Philly fans booing him. They caught a kid on camera saying something that I can't repeat on this podcast or on any platform. 
anywhere. I shouldn't say it in the quiet comfort of my own home to myself. I shouldn't think it. So that's what people are saying at Ben Simmons who are children in Philadelphia. This crowd's different, man. We know that. He misses the two free throws. They get the free chicken. They're going nuts. But this game showed me something else. The Nets, first of all, if we want to start on the Nets side of it, they play zero defense. They all want to score. They want to get involved on the offense. But they just stand around on defense. And guess what? The Sixers took advantage. The Sixers' player and ball movement was incredible tonight. And the reason why that's interesting, because that's not something you say often about this Sixers offense, is that the two guys in the league who are top seven amongst everyone in the league in isolations per game are James Harden and Joel Embiid. Those two guys both play on the same team. They play on the Philadelphia 76ers. Those two guys were out tonight. And oh, by the way, Tyrese Maxey was out tonight also. So how the hell did they put up this many points on the Brooklyn Nets? Yes, the Nets play no defense. I said that. But this team, the ball movement and the player movement, it was like watching a different team. It was like watching the Warriors, minus the great Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and all the other talented players. But they didn't stop moving. They didn't stop cutting without the ball. They made Brooklyn have to defend them. And like I said, Brooklyn just stood around and didn't want to play defense. But it makes me curious. If they did this when Joel Embiid and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey were on the floor and were demanding so much attention from the defense, don't you think this offense would be incredible? Don't you think this team would be even more amazing? I get that because those guys aren't on the floor and those guys are primarily isolation guys and that's where they've succeeded in their careers. Because they're not on the floor, you have to make up for it. But I'd love to see these some of these back screens and back cuts and open threes with those guys on the floor, especially when you have to worry about having to defend Joel Embiid and James Harden and a Tyrese Maxey. Those are some incredible players. In this game, by the way, Tobias Harris stepped up and he was, when they needed a bucket, he was the guy who they can put an ISO and get a bucket out of. And you forget that he's a 20-point-per-game almost guy in his career. And although people like to make fun of him for his playoff failures, his actually his points per game total is higher in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. Now, that could be just a result of smaller rotations in the playoffs or something like that. The eye test tells you that he's not a great playoff performer. But you forget this is a guy who's making $36 million a year on this team. And he played like it tonight. He was the leader of that team. He was the leader on the offensive and defensive side. And it's a game on a night like tonight that makes you think that if they can be this talented without those guys, they should be championship caliber when those guys are healthy and playing. When Giannis holds the ball, when Luka holds the ball, those are two very different things. Giannis holds the ball at the top of the key and draws so many bodies. And with everyone else moving around him, somebody's going to be open, whether it's a guy in the dunker spot, whether it's a guy in the corner, whether it's kicking out to the wing or whether they swing it around and it comes back to Giannis, someone's going to get an open shot. When Luka has the ball, he's going to go one-on-one. Everyone's going to stand around. And most likely Luka will find a way to score anyway. This team is somewhere in between this Philly team because they have the ability to do what they do in, in Milwaukee and move around like that. And still have the incredible isolation player be able to create with the ball in his hands while everyone else is creating for themselves without the ball in their hands. Do I trust that Doc Rivers is the head coach who can put that together for them and combine the style of play we saw tonight with the style of play we see on a nightly basis from them when they have their stars? No, but if he does, look out because they would be a real championship contender. Number four. I was one of the first on the Tua Tungavailoa train in the NFL this season, very early this season. I said, we loved him coming out of Alabama. He was supposed to be the guy. He got hurt. Then all of a sudden, some bad plays, Brian Flores, it all blows up. And now we're supposed to just be out on him. Now he's got Tyreek Hill. Now he's got Jalen Waddle. Now he's got Jeff Wilson. He's got Mike McDaniel. Why should we be out on him? And yes, he does seem to... Th- underthrow some balls, but Tyreek makes up for it. He comes back to those balls and makes the plays anyway. So having a great receiver works for you as a quarterback. But I thought about it during their bye week. I'm fully in. They're a Super Bowl contender. 
Mike McDaniel, I think, is one of the smartest minds. After watching those videos of him and Tua, how it's a collaboration, they feel like they're teammates almost on the sideline and hearing people who have worked with Mike McDaniel say that about Mike McDaniel, that he doesn't see it as he's the coach and you're the player. He sees it as a collaboration between two coworkers trying to work together for a common goal. That's incredible. The additions they made on the defense, and we already talked about the offensive weapons. I don't know. Tua was this guy coming out of Alabama that everyone loved. This is the guy who everyone fell in love with. This was the guy who the only thing holding him back we thought was injury. Now, all of a sudden, we're out on him? I don't know. Statistically, he's been the best quarterback in the NFL this year. And if he continues to play like that, even if it doesn't look great, if it continues to be statistically that way, he's got a real shot at MVP, and they have a real shot at the Super Bowl as well. Number five, the last takeaway from Tuesday. Robert Sala, the head coach of the New York Jets, had a very interesting press conference on Monday. He was late by about two hours. Apparently something was going on in the Jets facility and it wasn't just related to them talking about Zach Wilson. But for the first time in Zach Wilson's career, Robert Sala, the head coach, was noncommittal to who his starter would be going forward. Last year when Mike White went off and had his crazy game, they still said Zach Wilson would be the quarterback when he comes back. When Joe Flacco had a game-winning drive earlier in the year, they said, nope, Zach Wilson will be the quarterback when he comes back, and he'll be the quarterback the rest of the way. But now, for the first time, he's changed his tune. He said he's not committing, and they have to look at everyone. The question is, what will they do on Sunday against the Bears? The Bears coming to MetLife Stadium is one of the worst defenses in the NFL, specifically against the run. The Jets are a great running team. So what will they do? And this is my take. I think Zach Wilson will start. But the backup quarterback will be very telling. Like, I'm not sure what the Jets' best option is. The Jets have a Super Bowl caliber defense and a really strong offensive line, a really talented young wide receiver core, a very strong running back room. They have everything they need to make the playoffs. And you could almost directly draw a line between the quarterback play and them being two losses away from being eight and two and not six and four. Because if they had decent quarterback play, if they had Jared Goff playing quarterback or any other average quarterback you want to talk about in the NFL, they'd be eight and two right now because they didn't need great quarterback play against those two Patriots games. They needed mediocre quarterback play, anything but awful quarterback play, but they got awful. So now you start to look at this, and the reason I think it's telling who the backup's going to be is because that's the real story. How committed are the Jets to winning now, and how committed are they to trying to find a quarterback who can be their franchise quarterback? If it's not Zach, and it seems like it most certainly isn't, do you try Mike White? We saw flashes from him last year. Maybe he actually is the quarterback of the future. Or... Is the backup quarterback Joe Flacco? If they go back to Joe Flacco as the backup quarterback after not having him as the backup quarterback the last few weeks, then that tells me that the leash on Zach Wilson is extremely short and they care about winning more than anything else. And we've talked about this from very early on. We talked about this from draft night. They value winning now. This front office values winning right now. They want to win today. Drafting Garrett Wilson, getting Brees Hall, getting Jermaine Johnson, guys who can affect the team today, getting Sauce Gardner. They value winning right now, today. And so if Joe Flacco is the backup quarterback on Sunday, that tells you that if it doesn't work out with Zach Wilson, and we're going to know very early on, I think they're going to try and go out there and throw the ball early. I told you the Bears defense is good against the pass better against the pass than against the run. But they're going to try and throw the ball early to see, all right, Zach, this is it. Go out there and show us what you got. And if he doesn't have it, then they value winning. And if Flacco's back there, then that tells you they think Flacco gives them the best chance of winning today. And they'll go through the rest of the season with him and then they'll figure it out when they get to the offseason. Now, benching Zach Wilson doesn't mean they can't go back to him. I think they can go back to him even if they do bench him. It just means that they're trying to win right now and he's not the answer to win right now. 
but I don't know how many chances he's going to get to prove that he is the answer. Now, the interesting part in all this, and the reason why I don't think it's a slam dunk that they'll just bench Zach Wilson, because a lot of people will say just bench Zach Wilson. It's easy, right? How could you bring him back out after this game? Is that there's not a very good option on this roster. That's why we don't know. We don't know that Mike White is not better than Joe Flacco as the backup or vice versa. So, if you don't know who the best quarterback is who gives you the best chance to win, then why not just ride it out with Zach and see what you got? It doesn't seem like he's the guy, but we know the talent he has. So just ride it out with him. And where Zach Wilson's in an interesting spot is that if this was a bad team and they stunk, I don't know. He might still be the quarterback. Now, let's say they're down 16-3 on Sunday and he couldn't get anything going. Then in a weird way, they probably would have taken him out of that game because they were down so much. In a weird way, because they were tied and had actually a chance to win it, that's why they didn't bench him. When you think if they had a chance to win this game, that's why you would bench him to go out there and try and win the game. So as being a good team right now, the Jets clearly are, is that helping or hurting Zach Wilson? If the Jets stunk, would we be having this conversation about Zach Wilson? Would they have already benched him if they stunk? If the team was losing every game and he was playing like this, maybe you already bench him, right? Because if they were losing every game, then you would have just benched him early in the season because they're losing because of him. But now that they're winning despite of him, does that help him? Or is it the opposite? Because right now, the only reason I'm telling you he might be benched is because they're trying to win now. It's confusing, right? On one hand, it seems like winning is the only thing he has going for him because he still has a winning record on the year. On the other hand, winning is the only thing holding him back and might ultimately get him benched because the Jets might value winning more than his development. The thing is, before the season started, if you would have told me that the Jet team would be 6-4 and four right now after 10 games and the only two losses were against the Patriots, a couple of losses early in the season when Joe Flacco was the starting quarterback, I would have told you that's incredible. But expectations change. The way we view things change. And stop me if you heard this before because I talk about it all the time on the podcast. Once the reality shows itself to be one way, your expectations for the future change. And so this team, you can't just go out there and say, well, they're 6-4 and four and the only two losses Wilson has had is against the Patriots. It's incredible. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That's not an excuse. So like I said, them being a good team might actually be hurting Zach Wilson right now. And I'll give you the best example. Sam Darnold played for three years as the New York Jets starting quarterback on three terrible teams. Here's who Sam Darnold had around him. He had Adam Gase and Todd Bowles as his head coaches. He had no wide receivers. He had a terrible defense. He had a mess with Jamal Adams. He had no offensive line and was constantly getting killed. By the way, he got mono. Also, by the way, he was named the starting quarterback this week in Carolina. So that'll be fun. But with all that, we blamed all those other things and said, maybe Sam Darnold is still the guy. And so in 2020, in that draft, when the Jets organization had an opportunity to go get a quarterback, they didn't draft a quarterback because they said, well, we're still learning about Sam. We haven't done enough around him to see if he's the right guy. And in that draft in 2020, were Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts. The first four quarterbacks taken are starting quarterbacks and incredible starting quarterbacks, top-tier starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now all on winning teams, all on teams that are considered to be playoff contenders and maybe even Super Bowl contenders. The Chargers are frauds, but other than that. So that's the flip side of it. Where the leash was longer with Sam because the team was losing, winning is what's hurting Zach Wilson. Isn't that a weird thing? But it's more than just the fact that they're winning. It's more than just the fact that he's not contributing to the wins. And it's more than the fact he's not taking accountability for it after the games. I was scrolling through my videos on YouTube. 
Check out our YouTube channel, by the way, TikTok, Instagram as well. We're all over the place. I was scrolling through my videos on YouTube and I posted a video of 13 throws from Zach Wilson's first game as a New York Jet, first game in his career that are very encouraging that I'll tell you why I think he has a chance to be one of the best quarterbacks in the next franchise quarterback, whatever I titled it. And I watched those 13 throws and I don't see that guy anymore. I don't see that talent. I see a young, scared kid who's cocky and doesn't want to make plays and is afraid to make plays. If we've coached the mistakes out of him, but the mistakes being coached out of him means he also can't throw the ball anymore, then I don't want him to not try and make mistakes. If the only way you could not make mistakes is by playing scared and not pulling the trigger, then go make the mistakes. We talked about this. Go throw the picks. He took a major, major step back since then. And the talent being there is not good enough anymore. That can't be your saving grace anymore because we're not even seeing the talent anymore. So we know that it's in there, but we're not even seeing it. And the step back he took is more concerning than anything else. And the fact that afterwards he stands up there and acts like Aaron Rodgers in the press conference. Look, Aaron Rodgers can talk that way and act that way in a press conference because Aaron Rodgers is freaking Aaron Rodgers. Won a Super Bowl early, all the success he's had, the MVPs. Zach Wilson's done none of that. You're just a kid with a talented arm. That's it. And unfortunately, right now, your team is winning in spite of you. But that might be what ultimately costs you your job. I did want to run through a fun exercise, and I wanted to have my father on for this. So I won't go through it too deeply. Um, I'll just, like I said, run through it. I was kind of comparing the Knicks and Jets tortured histories because we were talking about it on Sunday after the Knicks also lost. Um, And then they beat OKC last night. But I got to watch SGA just play incredibly well. And you think, who has the more tortured history in my lifetime? So the Knicks obviously went to two championships, the years that Michael Jordan was out of the league, right? And ultimately they lost. The Jets have the two AFC championship games uh, when I was in middle school and high school in back-to-back years with Mark Sanchez. Um, But you think about it. Knicks missed Steph Curry by one pick in the draft. They took Kevin Knox over SGA, and they traded away the pick that became Nikola Jokic for Carmelo Anthony. Obviously, this is going back years ago. Carmelo doesn't even play anymore. That's just a few off the top of my head. And like I said, I'd like to have my father on for this segment. We could probably go for hours. The Jets traded up to take Sam Darnold over Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. This is just in the last few years for the Jets. They didn't take a quarterback in the draft, like I mentioned, that had Herbert, Tua, Burrow, and Hurts because they were developing Sam Darnold. And they took Jamal Adams over Pat Mahomes after going 5-11 and with a 34-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick because he was 10-6 and the year before. Oh, and in the biggest season, choked in Buffalo and didn't make the playoffs. I don't know. It's tough to say. Definitely over the last couple of decades... Which one of these franchises is more tortured? Which fan base is more tortured? But you know what? You know what the common theme with all this is? All these wounds are totally self-inflicted. And so these aren't tortured franchises. These are bad franchises. Inept franchises. Franchises that are just run so poorly that they're doing this to themselves. So a lot of people this week are going to pretend they know what they're talking about with the World Cup and soccer. I'm not going to be one of those people. I didn't bet on it because I don't know what I'm watching. I work for Fox and I cut up soccer highlights for the World Cup. And I definitely think everyone should go watch the World Cup on Fox. It's airing now, airing all week. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. I just have no interest. I mean, if it's on TV, which it's been on in the studio, I've been looking up and getting excited. Woo, USA! I think the U.S. team had six shots on goal in the game, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to stay away from that game, that sport. It's not my thing. Six shots on goal the entire game. They scored a goal, which is incredible. That's a great percentage. If every six shots they take, they score, I think the U.S. might actually win the World Cup. But like I said, I don't know anything about soccer. But instead, I'm going to keep talking about football. I'm going to continue to wrap up the NFL 
what we saw in week 11 and head into week 12 and Thanksgiving week. By the way, um, I did see, I love the Monday tweets from Adam Schefter when it's like, this guy is injured. This guy broke his arm. This guy was cut. This guy, and he just, it's just a thread of a million tweets on Mondays of all just cleaning up everything. Some coaches are fired to get thrown in there. Crazy tweets. Crazy thing happens. You should turn on your tweet notifications for Adam Schefter on Monday mornings. Um, they're definitely fun. Ian Rappaport, all those guys. Uh, fun Monday morning tweets. There's some wild ones in there. The last thing I want to talk about, they are playing on Thursday, so it kind of helps me when I am explaining where I am with all my power rankings. The Minnesota Vikings have a negative point differential this year, and everyone's making a big deal out of it because they're the first team, I think, to be 8-2 and two and to have a negative point differential. So making a big deal out of it makes sense. But at the same time, it kind of makes sense that they have a negative point differential. They've won a lot of close games this year. And in the two games they lost, they've gotten blown out. So when you lose by 37 in one game, and the other game was like 20 points, then yeah, you're going to have a negative point differential because even the eight games combined, you're not winning them by more than 50 points total. So it's not that incredible that they have a negative point differential. I don't think that tells you a ton about this team. Do I trust this team? Do I think this is a great team? No. But I don't think the negative point differential has that much to do with it. Two more quick NBA stories that I want to hit before I get to my NFL power rankings or tiers and then Thanksgiving previews. Number one, P.J. Tucker, by the way. I mentioned the Sixers game, and I forgot to mention this. P.J. Tucker had his fourth consecutive game with zero points tonight. That is the longest streak of games with at least 25 minutes played and zero points since minutes were officially tracked in 1951. So that's fun for P.J. Tucker. But with all the people tweeting about that, I watched the game. P.J. Tucker stands in the corner, makes you defend him from the corner. So it opens up a lane for people to drive to the rim because you know he can knock down the three from there. He had three steals in the game, three assists, five boards, at least when I checked last. Yes, he was 0-6 from the field. But that doesn't mean he's an ineffective player. Would you like to see him score, especially on a night like tonight where they had no of their three big stars in the game? Yeah, but did they need him to score in order to win the game? No. Another thing in the NBA, also fun. With 3.9 seconds left to score, and I'm reading off Twitter right now, uh, it was 109 to 108. The Kings were leading against the Grizzlies. They're up by one. John Morant walked up to Malik Monk, who was at the free throw line, and said, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. And then Monk made both free throws. John Morant then gets fouled and goes to the line with a chance to tie the game. And on the very first three throw, down three with three free throws coming, he missed. So, kind of ironic how that works. All right, uh, the moment I've all been waiting for. It is my NFL rankings, power rankings, NFL tier rankings, and I will go through them quickly, but I will explain them. So for all the people who want to come at me, now's your chance. Super Bowl contenders is my number one category. These are the teams who I think can genuinely win a Super Bowl today. Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL today, and I don't think it's particularly close. I talked about it earlier on this episode. They have Patrick Mahomes. They have a good enough defense. They have Travis Kelsey. It doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm talking about those things. They have Patrick Mahomes, period, stop. They're going to win games. He's going to will them to victory. Number two or three, but in that category as well, is the Buffalo Bills still. Like I said, I think they're going to blow out the Lions on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, and we're all going to be reminded that the Buffalo Bills are really good. They have a really good defense. They have a really good running game. They have good wide receivers as well. They have Josh Allen. They also beat the Chiefs this year. So for all the people who want to talk about how amazing the Chiefs are, well, the Bills beat them. So why are the Chiefs better than the Bills? Because Josh Allen is not Patrick Mahomes. I don't think it's close. The Philadelphia Eagles, we have to take them seriously. Why do we have to take the Philadelphia Eagles seriously? Because of what we saw from Jalen Hurts this week. Look, I don't think it's great that they were down to that team. I don't think it's great that they lost to the Washington Commanders. Both of those things are bad. But at the same time, they were never going to go undefeated. And you're allowed to have some bad games. By the way, Nick Sirianni, um, I mentioned on last episode that I saw him yelling at the fans and it seemed weird that he would be yelling at the fans after a game, a weird comeback win when they won by one point in Indianapolis. What was he yelling at the fans about? Turns out 
he was yelling at the fans. That's for Frank Reich. He was Frank Reich's offensive coordinator, or Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator, one or the other. They worked for each other slash with each other, I guess, in Philadelphia together. And so he was avenging his firing, I guess, or Frank Reich's firing. And so that's why Nick Sirianni was so fired up to win in Indianapolis after that game. All right. Baltimore is also in the Super Bowl contender category. Now, a lot of people are nervous about the Baltimore Ravens offense. Look, I said this after the game. The Baltimore Ravens' biggest concern early in the season when they were 3-3 three and three was the defense. The defense was allowing points at the end of the games in the fourth quarters. The fourth quarter collapses were getting to be too much. So what did they do? They went out and they fixed the defense. They fixed the fourth quarter collapses. The offense was never the question. Do they have wide receivers? No, they haven't had wide receivers in about 15 years. The Ravens, for some reason, hate wide receivers. But they have one of the best tight ends in the league. They have the best kicker in the league. And they have a really great quarterback who, by the way, is... As electric as he is throwing the ball, as he is running the ball, at any point he could break off a huge play. And who knows, maybe Deshaun Jackson will just make one more big pat catch in his career as he dies at the goal line at the age of 35. And that'll be that, and they could win a Super Bowl. So they are a Super Bowl contender. The San Francisco 49ers, I told you, I'm all in on them. I have money on them to win the NFC. Yeah, I took that bet a while ago when they struggled to start the season. I'm in on Jimmy G. All he does is win. In my opinion, they are a top three team right now in the NFL. And they are definitely in the Super Bowl contender category. The Tennessee Titans are also in the Super Bowl contender category. Guess what you get when you get really good coaching with a really tough team, a really tough running back, and a quarterback who, by the way, is showing you that he's not just mediocre. He's actually pretty good. You get a really good football team that's a Super Bowl contender, and that's the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel is one of the best coaches in the NFL right now, one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL right now. This team epitomizes toughness. This team epitomizes imposing their will on other teams. And when they do that time and time again, and they do that on the defensive side, and then you have Derrick Henry, who does that more than any other player in the NFL on the offensive side, you're going to win a bunch of games. You're going to steal the will from other teams, the will to play, the will to live. And Ryan Tannehill showed you on Thursday night that he is good enough to be a quarterback to lead you to a Super Bowl. They are a Super Bowl contender. And that will do it for my Super Bowl contenders. Now, I talked about Miami. Um, I think they are on the verge of being a Super Bowl contender. They had the bye week, though. So, like, you kind of forget about them a little bit. I think that I love them. I think I actually started to like them more during the bye week. They're in my contenders category, which is not the Super Bowl contenders, but it's the next tier of contenders. In that category, I have the Minnesota Vikings still 8-2. and two. I have the Cincinnati Bengals because I still think they're going to get hot, but that win kind of scared me. That was really close against Pittsburgh, who's a really bad team. That's why when I talked about overreacting on Mondays to one win, that game, we can't overreact to what they did because Pittsburgh has looked really atrocious at some times this year. At some points this season, Pittsburgh has looked awful. And so a win by seven points against Pittsburgh, you should not be getting way too excited about that. Dallas is in this category as well. Look, I said this after the game. If Minnesota was the team's jump out to the big lead against Dallas, then we would be talking about Kirk Cousins as Kirk Cousins, and we would be talking about Dak Prescott as Dak Prescott. We would have just flipped them around. Those quarterbacks did the same thing. They were asked to do very little in those games. Just one guy all of a sudden got asked to do way more because his team was down big, and he couldn't handle it. The other guy was just asked to ride out the strength because his team was up big. They're the same quarterback. Those teams are very similar, in my opinion. Difference is, Dallas has an all-time, all-time incredible defensive player. And so he can really win you a bunch of games in the playoffs. Him alone, Micah Parsons, and ride the running game. They now have two running backs who they clearly rely on both of them now, and Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. The wide receiving core is good enough, and they're probably going to get Odell Beckham Jr. That should help Dak Prescott, who I don't love, but I think he's good enough if you don't ask him to do too much. And with everything I just talked about, the defense, the running backs, the wide receivers, they shouldn't have to ask Dak to do too much to contend for a Super Bowl. And I have Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in here. They kind of also grew on me during the bye week because I remember what they did in Germany. They looked like Tom Brady in the Bucs. And I remember they have Tom Brady, and I remember they play in a terrible division. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win that division. And you put Tom Brady in the playoffs, you can never count him out. The pretenders are the teams who look like they might be contenders but are pretending. And the number one team in this category is the New York Jets. Look, I don't care who they go to at quarterback. If you can't play quarterback in this league, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. It doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. It doesn't matter how good your running backs and wide receivers are. I think all that is really good for the Jets. And when it comes to the defense, all-time great defense. Maybe that's an exaggeration. One of the best defenses in the league this year. Not an exaggeration. Easily top five. But if you can't play quarterback, you can't win. And so you can't be a real contender if you don't have a quarterback. 
The New York Giants are also in this category. They have too many injuries, and their defense is starting to have major holes in it. I like what Dable's done. I like the coaching of this team. I like how Daniel Jones has looked. He's not turning the ball over. He's playing like a competent quarterback. There's not enough talents on this team for them to be real contenders, and that's why they're in the pretender category. The LA Chargers. How many times are we going to give excuses to the Chargers? Where it's, well, they were this close. They almost beat the Chiefs. Oh, they were this close. They almost made the playoffs. But at the end of every game, it all ends the same way. With the Chargers losing, and that's why they're pretenders. The New England Patriots are in this category. Yes, they're 6-4, and four, but two of their wins came against, yeah, the Jets. Bullying Zach Wilson does not make you a good team. That just makes you everyone in the NFL. The Washington Commanders, they've moved up in life. They've actually moved into the pretenders category. They're 500 now, and they looked really good. They beat Philly, and they blew out a Texans team where it was like that was a classic letdown game. A bad team would have lost that game, having a letdown against one of the worst teams in the NFL, and they didn't. And with Taylor Heineke, they're frisky, they're fun. I like Washington, and they've moved up into the pretender category. The Seattle Seahawks are a team that has lost my good graces during the bye week. They had a bad game. It was one bad game against Tom Brady and the Bucks in Germany. So maybe I shouldn't hate them this much. But the bye week plays into that, not seeing them play. And then the fact that San Francisco overtook them in the division for the division lead tells me that, I don't know, they could just fizzle the rest of the way. San Francisco can win that division. It was nice at the beginning. If Gino, if the pumpkin turns back into Gino or Gino turns back into the pumpkin, you know how the saying goes. All of a sudden it comes crashing down. They end the season like eight and nine. And it's like, how did we get here? We missed the playoffs. I wouldn't be shocked. In the mediocre category, I have the Cleveland Browns in this category. Here's why the Cleveland Browns are in this category. Obviously, we keep saying that until Deshaun Watson comes back, they just need to keep it together. But Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt wasn't enough to keep it together. And what Amari Cooper is doing right now is not enough to keep it together. I don't know what else is going to keep it together. And who knows what Deshaun Watson is going to look like when he comes back. They're mediocre at best. The Chicago Bears. They have an incredible quarterback. Really talented. Really fun to watch. Only thing is, he can't win any games. If you can't win any games, you're not very good. They're in the mediocre category. The Atlanta Falcons. They're a team who actually wins games, but I'm not quite sure how they do it. Marcus Mariota, we saw what he did on prime time against Carolina. Not very good at all. I love Cordero Patterson, but this team isn't a real good team. They're in the mediocre category as well. New Orleans Saints could probably be in the trash category, but they keep winning, but it's with Andy Dalton. Does that make them good? No, Andy Dalton is the epitome of mediocre, and they're in that category. Jacksonville Jaguars are the same thing. They're a team that's frisky, that's capable of winning a bunch of games, and everyone keeps betting on them because everyone that keeps getting favored in Vegas because people like Trevor Lawrence. Thing is, they're not a very good football team. They're in the mediocre category as well. Rounding out the mediocre category is Detroit. Detroit's not very good. Pittsburgh is also in that category. By the way, Detroit. People are really high on Detroit because they beat the Giants, they beat the Packers. Sorry, still not very good. Pittsburgh, they're frisky, they're not trash. Indianapolis, I guess, and Green Bay. Green Bay is mediocre. The only reason they're not trash is because Aaron Jones is really good. And Aaron Rodgers, I still think, is very good. It's just not working there for whatever reason this season. And this season is a wrap. They're done. The trash teams, Arizona, pretty obvious. Cliff Kingsbury will be gone. I don't know what you do with Kyler Murray now. It's a problem. The Denver Broncos. How do you lose to the Las Vegas Raiders? And the Las Vegas Raiders. How do you almost lose to the Denver Broncos? Houston, they lost to Washington, and they proved once and for all they're just a really, really bad football team. Carolina as well. Sam Darnold is their starting quarterback as of today. And the LA Rams, you can put a bow and a wrap on their season. And that is my rankings for the 32 teams. I didn't go numbers-wise, but if you want me to quickly rank them 1 through 32 so that you could get even more upset because people like when I do that. And I like making people upset. So here they are, 1 through 32. I have number 1, Kansas City. Number 2, Buffalo. Number 3, Philly. Number 4, San Francisco. Number 5, Baltimore. Number 6, Tennessee. Number 7, Miami. Number 8, Minnesota. Number 9, Dallas. Number 10, Cincinnati. Number 11, Tampa Bay. Number 12, the Chargers. Number 13, Seattle. Number 14, the Giants. Number 15, the New England Patriots, number 16, the New York Jets, number 17, the Washington Commanders, number 18, the Atlanta Falcons, number 19, the Chicago Bears, number 20, the Cleveland Browns, number 21, the New Orleans Saints, number 22, the Green Bay Packers, number 23, the Detroit Lions. 
Number 24, the Indianapolis Colts. Number 25, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Number 26, Jacksonville Jaguars. Number 27, the Denver Broncos. Number 28, the Arizona Cardinals. Number 29, the Arizona Cardinals. Sorry, number 28 was the LA Rams. Number 29 was the Arizona Cardinals. Number 30 is the Las Vegas Raiders. Number 31 is the Carolina Panthers. And number 32 is the Houston Texans. Okay, um, those are the rankings the power rankings for the 32 teams in the nfl still a couple things to get to here before we wrap up and send you on your way for a long thanksgiving we have thanksgiving football um we have buffalo at detroit we have the giants at dallas exclusively on fox of course and we also have the nightcap which is a real weird game new england at minnesota that's gonna be interesting so i guess the lines I then looked at the lines and I told you who I thought was going to win Buffalo at Detroit. I guess the line would be minus 10 and a half. I've been telling you that Buffalo is going to blow out Detroit. It's only nine and a half bet all your money on Buffalo. They are going to crush Detroit. It's a yearly tradition that the lions lose on Thanksgiving. The Lions are feeling good about themselves. That's never good. Buffalo by a million in Detroit at 1230 on Thanksgiving game. Number two, the giants are at Dallas. I thought it'd be a closer line. Why? The Giants are hurt. The Giants just lost a game. The Giants, all of a sudden, they look like frauds. This is a short week. They have to turn around and face Dallas. Dallas just crushed Minnesota, which is one of the best teams in the league, presumably. Yeah, but at the same time, in my opinion, these two teams always play close. I don't know. I didn't feel like the Giants were just going to roll over against Dallas. The line is 9.5 for Dallas, minus 9.5. I don't know. Vegas has been good with these lines with Dallas. They know Dallas well, but for some reason, Dallas not only winning, but destroying on Thanksgiving doesn't feel right. I'm going to go with the Giants to cover the nine and a half. By the way, in both of those games, you can use the Frankie bet and bet the under. Although I feel like there's always a lot of points on Thanksgiving. I I could be totally wrong on on that, but I feel like there's always a lot of points. All right. The nightcap is New England at Minnesota. On NBC, the Thursday night football game, but it's the Sunday night version of it on NBC. It's Minnesota minus five and a half was my guess. It's Minnesota only minus three and a half. So I guess they're putting a lot of stock in a punt return touchdown for the Patriots. Or maybe they're putting a lot of stock in Kirk Cousins looking bad against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know which one it is. Either way, I'm going to take Minnesota to win and cover the three and a half because like I said, I don't think the Patriots are particularly good. I think they just bullied Zach Wilson. They might be better than the Jets. That doesn't make them a very good team. And I think Minnesota, despite losing, despite having a negative point differential and being a winning team, I still think Minnesota is actually a pretty solid football team. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. As always, please like and subscribe. I always appreciate that. It means so much to me. Every single person who listens means a lot. Follow us, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those great things, and like those videos. It helps the podcast out as well. Check out our great sponsors, as always. And until next time, enjoy your Thanksgiving. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your heights, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York Birds flying on the highline With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive 
I'm still here. 